one of the ways that people think about their Dharma practice, I've heard this a lot lately, uh, is uh, in thinking about what the goal for their practice is, uh, they think about the goal as being equanimity. So this may be an idea that, uh, that we have or something that we've heard that the goal of the practice uh, is equanimity or the goal for householders is equanimity uh, or a realistic goal for us in practice is equanimity. Uh, equanimity is not the goal. Equanimity is not the goal of the practice. It's the goal of one of the, one of the goals of concentration practice. One of the goals of concentration, uh, but it's not the goal of our practice. When when we uh, adopt this view, which is really it's a view, uh, it's not right view. Uh, when we adopt this view uh, that equanimity is the goal, uh, the underlying assumption, or not even so underlying, uh, is that, uh, you know, that life is difficult in the human realm, and our job is to accept that. And we leave it at that. You know, that's, that's the way, what our view is, and the way that we orient our practice when equanimity is the goal. So, as the Buddha tells us in this life, there's sickness, aging, death, separation, all these very, very difficult things, and that our goal, our job as Dharma students is to accept that and to leave it at that. You know, and that if we can accept that, uh, we'll have achieved what we're able to achieve. Or that uh, another way of thinking about that is uh, human experience is impermanent and unpredictable and things come and go, and all things come and go. And that's really the truth of separation. And our job as Dharma students, our goal should be to accept the way things are, to accept the way things are, and leave it at that. When we adopt that as a goal, actually, the, the term that's sometimes used for that is wrong equanimity or narrow equanimity. Now, I like that term. Uh, I don't like that idea, but I like that term, narrow equanimity. You know, uh, that's sort of, uh, that's what equanimity becomes when, uh, uh, when it becomes our goal in our practice, when we perceive it as the goal of the practice. It's a very narrow way of, of looking at our, our, our life and our experience. And, you know, by its nature, uh, it, uh, you know, I mean, essentially what that view and that way of living and practicing uh, means is that, uh, you know, we're cultivating disenchantment with the way things are in the human realm and this quality of disenchantment becomes our, sort of our, our guiding principle. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it leads to uh, 
uh, you know, a very narrow way of looking at things. And, uh, you know, by its nature, if we, you know, if we are uh, looking at life that way, uh, you know, we're going to develop a negative view of things. You know, it's, it's going to turn into a negative view of things. And we're going to have uh, a quite uh, a pessimistic way of considering life. But of course, the Buddha doesn't teach that equanimity is the goal of concentration. Of course, he teaches that we have to learn to accept sickness, aging, and death. We have to learn to accept and have equanimity in terms of the way things are and the impermanent, unpredictable, unreliable nature of conditioned things. Yeah. Uh, when we have equanimity, this enables us to get some space, you know, to get some space from sickness, aging, death, to get some space from the impermanent nature of things. Uh, when we have that kind of space, we learn to understand that sickness, aging, and death uh, aren't all of our human experience, that the conditioned experience of life which, of course, is unreliable and unpredictable, is not all that there is. Uh, we're able to understand uh, that there is uh, something on the other side of conditioned things. We're able to understand uh, and see and know, see for ourselves, uh, that there is something on the other side. Uh, and there is... Uh, uh, a quality of happiness that's available to us as human beings, and that's our goal. That's our goal. And this is what the Buddha, uh, you know, he, uh, I mean, first he, he was, li he lived in a way in which he, he was taught that the goal of life and, uh, was to accumulate different material things, right? Different sense pleasures, different possessions, he started to question that. He realized that wasn't bringing him uh, much happiness. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then, of course, he understood, he came to understand the conditioned nature of, uh, of, of things, uh, that all of these things that he had, all the possessions, all the sense pleasures, were conditioned and unreliable. He came to realize the truth of sickness, aging, and death, uh, the, the, the truth of the way things are in the conditioned world. Uh, and, but he, you know, he didn't accept that. You know, he didn't accept that. He accepted that that's the way things were. Uh, uh, he understood that, but he said, I wanted to see, I want to see if there's something greater. I want to see if there's something greater than just having acceptance of the way things are or certainly the accumulation of material things. So he set out to see if there was a greater happiness, a true happiness, a transcendent happiness, a happiness uh, that, uh, that lay on the other side. And he found that, you know? So in following the Buddha's path, uh, that's our goal. Our goal is true happiness. Uh, uh, so our wish for true happiness is what will see us through. Uh, so, 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 you know, you know, we say that a lot, or I say that a lot, uh, our wish for true happiness will see us through. Uh, but, 
you know, you have to start with that intention. We have to start with that wish uh, for true happiness. So, uh, you know, we all have this wish for true happiness. We all have this wish for a greater happiness, a happiness of heart, uh, a deathless happiness, a happiness that transcends uh, conditioned things. Uh, uh, you know, as we practice, we develop conviction, conviction in, in the Buddha's awakening, conviction that there is a true happiness and this is possible for us to know. And we begin to have glimpses of that every day. You know, if we're practicing in accord with the teachings, if we're practicing in support of our wish to be happy, to have true happiness, if we're practicing with that as the goal, with that as the goal. See, it's a conundrum, right? It's a catch-22. If that's not our goal, we're not going to ever see true happiness. We're not going to ever be able to identify it. You know, if that's not our, our wish, if we don't follow through on that wish. So it all begins with, you know, right view that there is a happiness that's greater. You know, this happiness is available to us if we do certain things, if we take certain actions, and then we have this resolve. You know, we, this resolve that's informed by our wish for true happiness. And then we begin to start to experience it and know it every day, every day. There's moments, there's moments every day we begin to experience it in our practice. I mean, the first thing that the Buddha wanted his students to do was to start to experience true happiness. He started with that. He had them, the first thing that he would have them do was practice generosity. Because when we practice generosity, we begin to know uh, you know, the happiness of heart. So, you know, this happiness is available to us, but we're not going to know it if we don't have the wish to know it, if we're not in tune with the wish to know it. And it's the deepest wish that we have. We all have this wish to be happy, for true happiness. We have to remember our wish to be happy, and we have to develop it. So, I've been talking about this a lot uh, in terms of why we practice metta, why we do metta meditation, and of course in terms of the importance of doing metta meditation. You know, there's a lot of confusion about why we do metta practice, and you know, so one of the ways that we can do metta practice is for concentration, like if you do a, a retreat, but, you know, in order to do metta for concentration, I mean, that's great, uh, you know, and it's good for as a concentration practice, uh, but, but, you know, you, you have to be on a retreat, you have to be spending a lot of time doing that. It's not the way that we're teaching it, it's not a concentration practice, it's what I would call a parami practice. You know, the purpose of the metta practice is to help you remember that you have a wish to be happy and to strengthen your connection to that wish. You know? So we're remembering our wish to be happy. You know, this is, and we, and we want to do this every day. You know, we want to do this more than probably just five minutes a day in the metta meditation. 
We want to be remembering our wish to be happy, that we have a wish to be happy. One way to think about this is, you know, we're strengthening this voice in the mind. You know, we're strengthening this voice of, I have a wish to be happy. That's why, I mean, you have to find your own way into it, but I can certainly speak from my own experience uh, on this, having worked with this a lot. You know, once I started practicing metta and kind of getting, getting away, which, you know, my teacher, Michelle McDonald, really supported, that was really, she was kind of the one who uh, uh, moved, moved me and others away from using phrases because they were very, it was very sort of arcane and, and uh, abstract. What is, may I be happy? I mean, what does that mean? You know, sort of like, you know, may I be struck happy in this moment? May I, all of a sudden I be happy? I, I want to be happy right now. You know, it's sort of like, once I started doing metta in a very simple way and finding my own way into it, but understanding that, you know, my purpose was, I have a wish to be happy, you know? And then for me, it's that simple. It's like, I have a wish for true happiness. Now, again, I understand, or I've developed that understanding of what I mean by true happiness. Sometimes I'll use that visualization of myself as a child, you know, and I'll think, you know, and I'll visualize myself as a child, and it's like, I have a wish for true happiness. I have a wish to be happy. Because I'm, I'm thinking about that child playing on the street when he was nine years old, you know, and or riding my bicycle through my suburban neighborhood. And, you know, that glimpse of that moment on that perfect summer day, you know, when there was true happiness, the, the open heart, the happiness of heart, that great peace of heart, you know, or there may have been other moments, you know, but that sort of just provides the subtext for uh, the reminder to myself, I have a wish for that happiness that that kid knew in that moment, in that moment, in that moment. That works for me pretty well. Uh, so there's this remembering. So we have to kind of have some sense of what that means when we say, I have a wish for true happiness. Uh, 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 but we're, but the, but, but, you know, so we're cultivating this voice in the mind. You know, we're cultivating this voice in the mind. Uh, uh, we're developing this voice in the mind. And that's something that we have to be very proactive in doing. So you can think of the metta practice as a way of proactively cultivating and strengthening that voice in the mind. And we have to be very proactive in making that effort because there's other voices in the mind, in case you hadn't noticed. You know, there's a lot of other voices in the mind. We're competing. We talked about this a little bit yesterday on the retreat. We're competing with all these other voices in the mind. You know, and everybody's got their own voices in the mind that run quite counter to, I have a wish to be happy, right? You know, so we have to strengthen this voice so that becomes the predominant voice in the mind, so that that becomes the predominant voice in the mind. I always like the way the Buddha describes, you know, the ways that we think when we are, when our thinking is imbued with our uh, habitual tendencies, in other words, our clinging, uh, you know, and he, he, he sort of categorizes the way he, we think, I was like this in the past, I'm like this now, 
I'm going to be like this in the future. The world was like this in the past. The world is like this now. The world is going to be like this in the future. Others were like this in the past. Others are like this now. Others are going to be like this in the future. If we think about ourselves, for me, sort of like I was unhappy in the past. So that comes up for people a lot when they try to do the visualization. I mean, everybody, a lot of people here have been in classes when I suggest the visualization. People, I was unhappy in the past. Yeah, I was unhappy in the past too. At, at a lot of times, but that's not the voice that I want to cultivate, you know? That's not the voice that I want to cultivate, right? Uh, it's all about what you think, you know? The thing about thinking is that it's impermanent, you know? We think it's fixed. We think the way that we think is the way that we think. Most people think the way that we think, the way that they think is the way that they think. You can think whatever you want to think. I mean, I always say this right now, you could think, I could think, I'm a giraffe, I'm a giraffe, you know? You know I've, got, I've got a long neck, and I'm, I've got orange, and I've got, you know, it's like, you can think whatever you want to think. Now, that's not going to, that's going to cause tension, because it's not true. If you have thoughts that are aligned with the truth, with the Dhamma, brings you into a state of ease. That's why when you say, I have a wish to be happy, you know, it brings us into a state of ease. May I be happy, it brings us into a state of ease because you're aligning with the heart. That's how you know that you're on track, right? So, uh, so you know, thinking seems fixed, but it's not fixed, it's conditioned. And so that's, that's good. We use conditioned things to make the path. The path is conditioned, right? So you use thinking to make the path. You're making your path. I mean, you've been making your path all along, unbeknownst to you. you know? <laughs> Mostly you, you made your path based on thinking about things that other people told you that you th should think about. You know? I made my path based on what, like, what my father told me and what I heard on TV and all those things. Now it's your choice to, to make your path based on what you want to think. You know? So you have that capacity to do that. You have to develop that voice you know, our voices tend to be, in the past I was unhappy, I'm unhappy now. I mean, how many times a day do I have that thought? I'm unhappy with the way the body feels. I'm unhappy with the way the mind is. I'm unhappy with what's on TV. I'm unhappy with what I'm doing. I don't like this. I want that. If I had that, I would be happy. In the future, I'm going to be unhappy. I'm going to get old and I'm going to die. It's going to suck. It's going to be terrible. Right? That's, you know, those are the thoughts. That's what you're competing with. Loud voices, deeply conditioned. But you can change that. You know, you can change that. This is mental training. So we're developing this voice in the mind. We're developing this voice. I have a wish to be happy. Another way the Buddha talks about it, uh, we use this idea of voices, and I like voices. Thomas Arabico uses that a lot, the voices in the mind. The Buddha says, we bend the mind in a certain direction. Uh, this beautiful quote of his where he says, whatever a monk keeps pursuing with his thinking and pondering, that becomes the inclination of his awareness. Whatever a monk keeps pursuing with his, with his thinking and pondering, that becomes the inclination of his or her awareness. So I love that term, inclination of awareness. Whatever you think, that's where your mind is going to incline. 
right? That's karma, essentially. So, you know, if you think, I'm unhappy, and you keep thinking that, your mind is going to keep going. It's like a groove, a trap. Your mind is going to keep going in that direction. Or as the Buddha says, you bend your mind in that direction. You bend your mind in that direction. So, you know, we're learning, we're practicing. It's a practice of bending our mind towards in the direction of, I have a wish to be happy. I want true happiness in this life. You know, and as that becomes the inclination of your awareness, what you start to do, of course, is look at your actions in terms of, and look at what you're doing from day to day in terms of your speech and your deeds, but also the way that you're thinking and the way that you're holding on or not holding on to certain emotions, you begin little by slowly to start looking at everything that you're doing through that lens. You know, is what I'm doing leading to true happiness? Is what I'm doing in support of the heart? Or is it leading me away from true happiness towards suffering? So we're inclining the mind, right? We're bending the mind. We're inclining our awareness. We're developing that voice in the mind. This is, this is integral to our practice. So coming to classes like this uh, certainly support us in that effort, but it's really ultimately up to you to do the work. It's really well up to you to do the work. So, you know, I suggest doing metta practice every day. Now, of course, the way that you do it is going to be critical. You know? uh, we want to try to really do it so that we're using fabrication in a skillful way, right? The internal verbal fabrication, that's the fancy word for thinking. Uh, what I really encourage is really cultivating this train of thought, this way of thinking. I have a wish to be happy. I have a wish for true happiness. Again, if you want to use your own words, but it has to align with the notion of true happiness. It has to align, if you're a Dharma student, with the Dharma. It has to align with the Buddha's awakening. And that was the Buddha's thought. That's what, that's what compelled him, you know, to find true happiness. I, he had a wish for true happiness, and he stayed true to that wish. He stayed true to that wish. So we have to, we have to cultivate uh, that voice in the mind. So practicing metta every day in the service of remembering our wish to be happy and strengthening that voice in the mind. Uh, so, you know, the metta practice is, is, is really extremely useful in doing that. Uh, but, you know, of course, what I would recommend is as you go throughout the course of your day, you know, touching into that, reminding yourself, I have a wish to be happy. I have a wish to be happy. Yeah. I mean, you know, the mind is going to think, and it's going to think along those old grooves. You know, the inclination of your awareness is pretty deeply grooved. Yeah. So you sort of, it's sort of like you have a choice. I mean, it's hard, it's, 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 it's hard not, yeah, I mean, it really requires effort, right, and discipline to do this. It's hard to, you know, we think, why, why should it be so hard? But those, those patterns are so deeply grooved. Mm -hmm. But you can change that. You know, you have to put the effort into changing that. 
It's not like lifting weights. It's not like going to the gym, you know? And it's actually harder in many ways, though. It's not physical effort. It's mental effort. It's mental training. And you're changing those grooves in the mind. But, you know, the thing of it is, is that you're going to go through your day. You're going to think, I am unhappy. I've always been unhappy. I'm going to continue to be unhappy or feel, you know, whatever your way that, of, of, of thinking is. Or I have a wish to be happy. I'm going to make an effort to be happy. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to know true happiness. It's really sort of, you have a choice of one or the other. And it's really your choice. Most people don't realize they have a choice. Most people aren't slowed down enough to assert that choice. That's, a, that's, that's the beauty of equanimity, that we slow ourselves down enough of concentration. We slow ourselves down enough. We have enough space so that we can assert choice. You know? And the most important choice that you'll ever make, probably, is in terms of the way that you think. All that we are begins with our thoughts. All that we are begins with our thoughts. So we develop this way of thinking. We develop this resolve, this intention. We strengthen uh, our wish to be happy. We remember, you know, we become steeped in being able to remember our wish to be happy. And this, again, is what enables us to take action that's in support of our wish to be happy. Uh, we, we remember that this is our wish, we're in tune with this wish, and little by slowly we choose what to do in this life based on that wish, based on that wish. That's really what metta is about. That's really what metta is about. You know, we don't do metta practice so we reflect and all of a sudden we feel happy. We really do metta practice. We cultivate this voice in the mind so that we remember that we have a wish to be happy and that wish to be happy is what we base our decisions on. But if we don't remember that wish, we're going to be faced with decisions every moment of the day. We're faced with decisions. Do I want to follow this train of thought? Do I want to say that? Do I want to hold on to this emotions, emotion? You know, what are we basing our decisions on? Mostly we're not really make, asserting our ability to have a choice. We're just acting out of past karma. Now we're slowing down enough. That's the beauty of equanimity. And we're asserting our choice. I'm not going to hold on to this emotion. I'm not going to follow that train of thought. I'm not going to let myself go wander off in the meditation. I'm not going to speak in this way. I'm not going to lie because I have a wish to be happy. Oh yeah, I remember. I have a wish to be happy. Now I'm going to base my decisions on that wish. All that we are will begin with our thoughts. So how we think will determine how our life is. You know, the, in our Dharma practice, we're changing how we think so that we can know true happiness.